I am uh, not one to um, see movies twice. In fact, I hate seeing a movie twice, even if it's an amazing movie, because I know what's going to happen. I, some people love watching movies. Daniel can watch a movie over and over and over again, and I, he wants to buy the movie. And I would like, why would you buy it? Because I never want to watch it again. Some people like to read books over and over again. Uh, Evan and Luke are, are ones that will, and I'm sure many of you, um, enjoy reading great works over and over again and talk about how profound that is. I've never been one to do that either. I, I don't know of many books I've read more than once other than Pilgrim's Progress. But uh, I'm sure it's fruitful and I'm sure it's a good thing, but it's not something that I'm up for. But one thing that I do uh, enjoy is reading God's Word because it's different from any other book that you could possibly read in that it's a living book. Uh, even a great work of um, uh, penmanship is going to be ultimately a dead work. It's not going to give life. It's not going to... You may read some new things when you go back and read a book that you hadn't read before. You may see some things that you haven't seen, but you won't have this living message that comes at you relentlessly week after week, day after day, year after year, even from texts that you've read a million times. That's what I've experienced this week in studying the book of John. Uh, I'm going to take a few minutes at the beginning of our message this morning and teach on the Holy Spirit. I did that last week as well, and I think it's important to expose the gift that we have in the Holy Spirit before we talk Holy Spirit gifting later on in the sermon. So the first few minutes are going, to spent, are, are going to be spent just sort of equipping you with the marvel and the gift that we have in the Holy Spirit. And I hope that maybe in, this, in these few minutes you may see something that uh, you haven't seen before and enjoy something in a way that you haven't enjoyed before. If you'd like to turn with me, I have three passages I'm looking at in the book of John. John chapter 1. This is sort of a pre-sermon. It's not the sermon, and you don't have to worry, the sermon is not, uh, that doesn't mean we have two long, hefty um, meals to eat. This is preparing us to really enjoy where we go for the rest of the morning in considering spiritual gifts. Last week, our passage that we considered was in the book of Acts and was the story of Pentecost. This, this morning, we're going to look at is sort of the background for this is this will be an interesting word for you, or it may be a, a boring word for you. I think it's a cool word. Johannine, Johannine Pentecost. That means John's Pentecost. Okay, it's a fancy way of saying John's Pentecost. Okay, now let me just tell you before I read this passage. John wrote the book of John for the purpose of presenting a gospel tract. He wanted to tell the story of Jesus in one book. Okay, he's not telling a history lesson. He, gave, he presented seven signs and wonders in the book that Jesus did for the purpose of that, that, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you may have life in his name. He has a very clear agenda in the book of John. Okay, so listen to these passages as, and keeping that in mind as we read this living book to see if you may see something and encounter something that you've not encountered before. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus. This he is John the Baptist, not to be confused with John, the writer of the book of John. Two different Johns. Okay, this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A very familiar concept and understanding of Jesus. I think most of us in here would really connect and resonate with what I just said. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, this is still John the Baptist, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. There are two main things that are happening here in this passage that Jesus does, or that John says that Jesus is going to do. And the first of those is the familiar one that I pointed out to you, the Lamb that's going to take away the sins of the world. Amen? Awesome? Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Now here's the second part. The second part is later on in that passage. John says, I came to baptize with water. And here it says, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. What I want to show you in these next few minutes, just brief introductory, glimpse into the book of John, is that John ties the, the cross with the Holy Spirit's gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit to God's people. They're not equated in equal events, but they sure are close. In fact, you might even say that they are two parts of one event. Christ's cross and the giving of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I'm going to show you here in these next couple of minutes. From this passage first, you see John saying, there he is, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And there he is that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Those two things come into focus in the book of John if you're looking for it. Here's the next passage, just a few chapters later in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, beginning in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Spirit has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. What I want you to see there is a synthesis of the giving of the Holy Spirit and the glorification of Christ through his cross, his resurrection, and his ascension. Okay, don't see them as two separate events where one is greater than the other. See them as one awesome, amazing event. Christ's cross and his sending of the Holy Spirit. John makes the case that those things go together. One's not better than the other. One's not more important than the other. They're together a synthesis of something awesome. The cross and the sending of the Holy Spirit. Now, after this, there are, there's really one other passage in John I want you to turn to is John chapter 20. 
I'll share with you as you're turning there that there are a number of references to the Holy Spirit in the book of John. The book of John really is a book about the Holy Spirit if you're looking for it. It's a book about Christ, but a book about Christ can't leave out the Holy Spirit because it's also about the Holy Spirit. So he's saturated throughout the book. Jesus talks about him all the time. And then in verses, or in chapters 14, 15, and 16, on the night of his arrest, before he is going to the cross, the eve of his cross, chapters 14 and 15 and 16, if you read them and look for it, spirit everywhere. Spirit this, spirit that, spirit this, spirit that. It's all about, not exclusively, but especially about the Holy Spirit on the eve of his cross. John ties those two things together. And then in John chapter 20, verse 22, I'll read um, verse 19 to 22 just for the sake of context. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now, Jesus has just risen the day before. That's maybe the very same day, the first day of the week. I can't remember how that. Yes, that'd be the first day of the week. This is the day that he's risen, that he appears to the disciples. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, John has an agenda here, and he's connecting the cross and the work of Christ to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and giving the Holy Spirit. Those two events are equal and one. It's really one big event. It's separated by time. Now, the time that if you paid attention last week, you know the separation of time between the Passover and Pentecost was, if any of you real students in here, was Seven weeks, about 50 days. Okay, so technically it's separated in time by about 50 days. But here in the book of John, it's separated by hours. The very day that he's risen from the dead is the day that he's showing up to the disciples, just appearing, showing them the scars in his hands and his side, and he's breathing on them and giving them the Holy Spirit. Now, if, first of all, let me just deal with the, the problem. If you're thinking, well, did it happen at Pentecost or did it happen here? I'm going to take just a moment and deal with that. It happened at Pentecost. I think what's taking place here is symbolic. And it's best to see those two events together, like I said, as one big event, as part of a time in the story, a time when the work is finished, when Christ is going away to the Father, and he sends the Holy Spirit. Don't get bogged down on whether it's 50 days later or whether it's right now. I think it officially happened at Pentecost with quite a, quite a show. Lights, flames, different languages. And this, matter of fact, they just continue moving on talking. Thomas starts doubting and all that kind of stuff just kind of, kind of unfolds. There's no fanfare here when Jesus says he breathed on them. But I think the reason is because John is making the case that the cross, with the cross, goes the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's not making up this event. This actually happened. Now, coming back to what's going on here. The main point is that God has promised through the prophets 
to be with his people fully. And in the fullness of time, Christ came. And when he departed, he sent, or he through the Spirit, he sent the Spirit, and then he through the Spirit continues with his people. The point that John is making here, it should speak to any of you who've ever had this notion or thought, man, I really sure wish I would have lived in the time when Jesus lived. Wouldn't it have been awesome to see his miracles? Wouldn't it have been awesome to hear his messages? Wouldn't it have been awesome to walk with him and see what life with Jesus, what Jesus was like? John is making the point that with the Holy Spirit, we live in that time now. With Jesus leaving and sending the Holy Spirit and Jesus making the promise, I will never leave you or forsake you, he's making good on that promise in the person of the Holy Spirit. We walk with Jesus now. It's not something we just have to pine for in glory whenever we die and go be with the Lord or in heaven. We actually walk with him now. That's how profound Pentecost was. That's how profound this Johannine Pentecost is. When Jesus completed his work and he baptized his church in the Holy Spirit, he gave us himself forevermore. The Spirit's presence with his people means the Spirit of Christ is with us. When he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, he meant it. So Christ is right here with us, right now. He's right here with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, that was my little introductory spirit, Holy Spirit lesson. And now we're going to move into the byproducts of this amazing gift that's been given to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. A byproduct of his presence in us and with us is gifting. He came as the ultimate gift, but he brought gifts with him, and he gave gifts to his people, all of us, if you remember from last week, every single one of us. With the Holy Spirit, who is himself the gift, comes gifts that we use to build up one another, to build up the church, to build up the body of Christ. This morning, we're going to consider the different gifts that are listed in our Bible. Okay, we're going to look at five passages. And we're just going to gather up the gifts. And then we're going to speak to how permanent they are or aren't. And then lastly, how do you go about discovering your gifts? Okay? That's our plan for the morning, for the rest of the morning. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. This is the first of about five, five places I'm going to have you turn. 1 Corinthians 12. And as we go through these and start to gather up these little lists of Holy Spirit gifts, I'm going to do my best to, to define them in a sentence or two. Um, some of them could take an entire uh, series to try and deal with because they're complicated. Some of them less so. Uh, in fact, we are going to spend entire Sundays devoted to one or a couple of these as we go. But for this morning, I just want to give a brief description and definition of these gifts as we go. The first list is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 8. Let me find it on my page. Okay. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. If you're a list taker, a note taker, you can start taking notes. 
Okay, this is the first of about 15 that we're going to list. I don't know, something like that. Some of them are redundant. Okay, the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, for my attempt at defining these, just, to, just briefly. Utterance of wisdom and utterance of knowledge. These are often associated with some real spectacular types of things. Like you may have been in a worship service before. You may have heard of a worship service or you're a pastor or somebody saying, I just have a sense today. You know, I don't want to demean anybody that makes, makes a big deal out of this. But it's kind of how I've seen it. I just have the sense today that somebody among you has stolen from your employer this week. You've stolen something. I just have a word of knowledge from the Lord that some of one of you, maybe more, but at least one of you has stolen from your employer, and you need to repent and reconcile. Now, chances are what I just did is probably true in here with about 250 people right now. I mean, it's probably true that somebody stole at least a pencil or something, a paper clip from their employer this week, and you need to repent and go reconcile. Now, I don't want to make little of what's being described there, but that's the, a lot of times the spectacular version of what these are, word of knowledge and word of wisdom. The problem is this is the only place in the Bible where those two things are mentioned together, a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom. So we don't have any other place to help us define what those are. So we could make them as spectacular as we want. Or we could make them as routine and normal as we would like. I would lean toward the latter. Have you ever been around somebody in the church that you're working on something or you're talking about something or you're dealing with something and someone just has this, this unique wisdom into the circumstances and the details. And they may have a unique insight into knowledge of how you can work through this situation. I think those things are far less spectacular, but so welcome and so edifying and so wonderful when they play out. I've seen them exercised in deacons and elders and life groups, among friends, where there's this word of wisdom, where this word of knowledge, where somebody has some really keen wisdom and insight into, into the nuance and the details that's profound that I would call Holy Spirit gifting. And when it's exercised, guess what? I'm edified and built up, not freaked out, <laughs> not frankly uncomfortable. I looked at some of y'all were kind of uncomfortable when I was like you. One of you stole from your employers. That's just uncomfortable. Why would the Holy Spirit show up and manifest himself in a way where I really want to get out of the building? And I think he's going to be welcome when he shows up. You're going to see and hear some things from the Holy Spirit. If he's in you, that's going to draw you to him. Not repel you like you need to go shower and get away from whatever that was going on. Utterance of wisdom and utterance of knowledge. The next one is faith. This is just an extra measure. Some, some, you may have 
some of you may be this, some of you may know this person that just has this profound trust in the Lord. That person that you grab hold of or the one that comes to you just when you need it and just has that word of encouragement. Uh, well, that's another gift, but that word of, of confidence that God is who he says he is, that he's going to do what he says he's going to do and that we don't have to worry. That, that confidence and trust in the Lord is faith. Healing is the next gift that's listed there. Healing in this case would also include reviving from the dead. What I struggle with, frankly, oftentimes, at least the healing accounts that supposedly take place here today uh, in our context in the States, they're often associated with great fanfare and with healing of sicknesses that you just can't see. Like somebody's back is hurt and now their back feels better. Now, plenty of backs hurt. I don't want to diminish or devalue backs. But the gift of healing, they're like returning people from calling. They're like restoring life to people who were dead. They're giving sight to people who were like blind. I mean, I'm talking clear movements of the Holy Spirit that oftentimes today, oftentimes, and I can't say always, but oftentimes today are associated with things that you just really can't say, oh, your back feels better? Okay, good. Mm. That's the gift of healing. I don't know. I don't know. I think we need, need to use wisdom and discernment in trying to make sense of those things. But the gift of healing as spoken of here is like the gift of healing that the apostles had as they walked around Jerusalem or wherever and their shadow fell on people and they're getting healed. We're talking about a very profound gift where people are being healed of even death. Are profound sicknesses. The next one is miracles, a gift of miracles. You don't have to really be creative to think about what that is. A gift of miracles, like somebody can actually work miracles. Okay, that's a that, that's a significant gifting. The apostles had those in spades. You just saw some of the stuff that goes down in Acts and uh, some of these early church events. And you're like, man, that's the gift of miracles. The next one is the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy in that context meant a word from the Lord as if the Lord was speaking into the moment. Okay, that someone has this uh, extemporaneous message from the Lord in a corporate worship gathering. And I want to just point this out. If the Bible's not finished, which it wasn't for a large part of the New Testament because it took a while for it to be finished. Okay, and say you're in the Corinthian church and you've got the Old Testament or parts of the Old Testament maybe, and you've got maybe a gospel or two, and then you've got a couple letters from Paul, and someone has a word of prophecy from the Lord, it might be really helpful because the Bible's not finished. Okay, People make a very good case, and I would stand with those people, that that gift is dead, and we don't need that gift anymore because this Bible's finished. We don't need to add another word to it. The gift of prophecy and presenting a new word from the Lord. We don't need a new word from the Lord because he's spoken and it's all right here. But that's the gift of prophecy. The next one is distinguishing between spirits. You may know of somebody that just has this sense, this ability to distinguish between. This is a spirit of confusion that, has, uh, that is, is messing with us here in this committee meeting. Or this is a spirit of division that's, that's overwhelming our family right now where we just can't seem to say a word of love toward one another, the spirit of division, or maybe a spirit of doubt, this gift of being able to discern the spirits. That's a good example of that. Various tongues. This is one that I told Scott that I wish I really didn't um, 
I actually told him this week, I said, what were we thinking preaching on the Holy Spirit, or the spiritual gifts this summer? Because the gift of tongues is such a mess. I may have already stepped in the mess for some of y'all and dealing with some of these other things, but I really step into a mess with the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues, I'm going to briefly define at least my understanding of the gift of tongues. It looks like Biblically, the gift of tongues is the ability to speak in another language where other people hear that language and it helps them hear from the Lord. Now, there may be some sense that there was another sort of prayer language. Some people today practice what they call a private prayer language that they would call tongues. The only problem that I would have with that is that the gifts were given to the church for the edification and building up of the body. So a private prayer language isn't doing any of those things. It, by nature, is private. Now, you might see the next one right after that, the interpretation of tongues. There is some sense that in the early church, in the Corinthians especially, that there were occasions where someone spoke in tongues, but there better be someone there to interpret what was just said. Now, I don't know if that was like an angelic language or whether it was actually another language, but the, the, what we do know is that when somebody spoke in these various tongues, there better be some various interpreters there, or the one who's speaking in the various tongues needs to button it. That's the instruction that was given to them. Okay, and then the various tongues have that next gift, an interpretation of tongues. One thing I will point out is that the various tongues and the interpretation of tongues is a beautiful picture of how gifts work in the church. Because one needs the other, don't they? The one that has the gift of interpretation Sure needs somebody around that speaks in tongues so they can interpret something. And somebody that speaks in tongues sure needs an interpreter or they're supposed to button it. It's a beautiful picture of dependence, even if there are sort of sticky points or sticky gifts to deal with. Let's look at our next list. Same chapter of 1 Corinthians, look at verse 28. Some of these are redundant, so a lot of my explanation is, is going to be accomplished early on. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Some additional gifts that we can add to our list come from this passage. First of all, apostles. The apostles were the 12 disciples minus Judas plus Matthias plus Saul, later Paul. Those are the apostles. And the apostles are dead. Okay, if somebody wants to tell you that they're an apostle, then I, they'd have to make a difficult case for it. They actually were really, really old, and they're one of these guys, John, James, one of the others. Because the apostles are dead. Somebody has a difficult time at the notion that some of the gifts may have been appropriate for some time and not others. Like early on in the church, but not now. How about the apostles? They're dead. Somebody could say, I'm at least in a partial, a partial the word that you may hear from time to time over the next few weeks, cessationist. I'm at least a partial cessationist saying that surely apostles died. And that that gift is gone. Okay, the apostles were the ones that um, walked with Christ. Second one is the prophets. I've already described and defined prophecy. Third would be teachers. You know the gift of teaching, that ability to expose God's word, God's story, that ability to connect the dots and help people visualize and see and apprehend 
God's word and God's truth. That's the gift of teaching. The gift of miracles and healing we've dealt with, and the gift of helping is very similar to something that's in another list, the gift of service. That unique gifting, everybody should have some measure of this, and I'll speak to this later, but that unique person that just seems to know how to help when you need help. That unique complement of, of insights and words and hand helping, serving, that is clearly something that the Holy Spirit is doing through someone. That's the gift of helps. Administrating, that's another gift. Administrating is different from leadership. Administrating, if some of you may know that person that has the ability to just organize and sort of make linear things that aren't linear and help you sort of plan and process the details. We get to see uh, Scott and Aaron work all week long with the gift of administration. Both of them have profound gifting in those areas. The gift of administration. Various tongues, there you see again. Now, the, the third list is in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, hang with me. We're gathering these gifts, and we're going somewhere with this. We're collecting some data, but we're going to massage the data. We're going to do something with it. Serving a point here, or serving a purpose, making a point. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Okay, this little image here is Christ in his processional, in his victory processional, giving gifts to men. Okay, now skip that next verse, not because it's not important, but it's, it's something that, that doesn't really flow with the thought here. Pick up in verse 10. He who, no, actually in verse 11. And he gave apostles and prophets. These are the gifts that he gave to the church. Apostles and prophets and evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. We can add to our list four more gifts right here. Apostles we've already seen. Okay, They're dead. Prophets, I've already mentioned, I believe they're dead too. Evangelists, they're not dead and we hope they're not dead. Because we need evangelists. Evangelists have been given to the church. It's that unique gifting, unique ability to help people see and apprehend the good news and to trust Christ. You may have seen that before. A guy named Sam Douglas is a guy that comes to mind, a guy that had a large part to do, uh, a large part to play in the planting of this church. Profound gifting in evangelism. And the next one is shepherd teachers. Shepherd teachers would be a pastor teacher. Those would be used interchangeably. And that would go very closely with the gift of teaching, but leans more the direction of a pastoral sort of gifting. Okay, the ability to shepherd and teach God's people. Now turn to Romans chapter 12. We're almost done with our lists. Romans chapter 12. Beginning in verse 6. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, we've already dealt with prophecy. If service in our serving, we've dealt with that. The one who teaches in his teaching, we've dealt with that one. The one who exhorts 
in his exhortation. And a synonymous word with exhortation would be encouragement. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We can add some things to our list. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation and encouragement. You may know that person. You may be that person. I know some of you who are those encouragers, those those, pers- those people that you just need to be around periodically, really in reality, often to be encouraged to press on. Last Sunday, it was interesting, at the end of my sermon, I sat down next to Daniel, and Daniel leaned over and said, Dad, that was a good sermon. And I said, and Daniel, you have the gift of encouragement. <laughs> we were talking about spiritual gifts last week. You know that person that just knows how to build you up and encourage you. We'll deal with that later, or we'll deal with that in the coming Sunday. The gift of giving, this doesn't mean that you have a lot of money. It just means that you're open-handed and big-hearted about your stuff, and you enjoy giving to, the, to other people, uh, in God's, uh, others among God's people. The gift of leadership as distinguished from the gift of administration. The gift of leadership is the ability to move people, to guide people and direct people in uh, to an end that would be God-glorifying. The gift of administration is a nice complement to the gift of leadership because you don't always see in the gift of leadership somebody who really is very administrative. You see somebody who's inspiring, who can compel you and guide you uh, through, the gift of, or through the working of the Holy Spirit. The gift of mercy. The gift of mercy is just this soft-hearted, this tenderness toward others who have a need or a crisis or a celebration or everything in between. This real sensitivity toward one another. And I know so many of you among you that have the gift of mercy. The last list is, list is in 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm actually going to share an intermediate passage with you real, real quick um, and gather up one more gift before we deal with 1 Peter chapter 4. And this additional gift that I'm going to throw in there might be a surprise to you. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So continue on to 1 Peter 4 and listen to this gift in 1 Corinthians 7. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He says, not as a concession, not as a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. That's the gift that he's talking about, is the gift of singleness. Some of you may think about singleness as a curse. (laughs) It's apparently a gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's something that you should consider a gift. And it's not for everyone. Because there may be a time that the singles among us may be called to marry our But what you should appreciate is between now and then that it's a unique gifting of the Holy Spirit to be single. Now in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. As each, this is our last list. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. We can add to this list something that's really not an addition, but it's a way to sort of break down our previous lists, the gifts of speaking gifts and the gifts of serving gifts. Really, all the gifts that we've talked about so far can be broken down into speaking gifts 
and serving gifts. This is a great reference for seeing the gifts falling in one of two categories, speaking or serving. Now, I know that was a hearty list to guide you all through. And I know that it took some time. There was a, a certain amount of commitment there for you to stick with me and to hang with me. But I want to show you something. Two things, really. The first thing I want to show you is to consider that not one list has all the gifts listed. Each of these lists has different things listed. And some of them are listed in one place and not another. And some of them are listed in both places. This suggests that Paul's lists weren't exhaustive. This suggests and indicates that there are many possibilities for spiritual gifting. The fact that there are some listed here and not others tells us, and in some occasions they're listed in one place and not another, tells us that it's not exhaustive. We could include in this list some other gifting then. We could include some things that came to mind for me, the gift of listening. Some of you know that person that they just have this ability when you just need to talk and you just need to process something. They have the ability to sit and listen and not interject and not fix it, but somehow just listening ministers to you in a way and builds you up in a way and edifies you in a way like nothing else. The gift of listening. We could add to it the gift of friendship. I've seen some of you friend, befriend one another. And I'm friends with some of you in a way that I would call it Holy Spirit gifting. A tenderness and sensitivity toward one another, a commitment toward one another that is profound that I have to attribute to a gifting of the Holy Spirit. We could add to the list the gift of hospitality. You know that person in that house, that home that you go to where you just feel like you live there. You feel like you've always lived there, or you always have been this person's friend, yet they may have just met you. They have this gift, profound gifting, that makes you just feel welcome. That is a gift of the Holy Spirit. We could add another gift that I think is very fitting, is the gift of creativity. Some of you have this ability that we have to attribute to the Holy Spirit to really see things in a way and present things and communicate things in a way that is just unique. And it's wonderful, delightful, refreshing creativity. Another one I might add is the gift of harmony. And I might include, I might imply that we're speaking musically, which I am. I've seen musicians that can just sit down, not even know each other, and somehow just fit together and play together in a way that is really something I would call miraculous. But we're talking about within the church. We're talking about gifting that's expressed to edify and build up the church. What takes place up here every Sunday that has a lot of work behind it, I would say is the gift of harmony. But I would also ex expand that to not just be musical. Some of you have the gift of harmony is what I would call it. The ability to connect people. The ability to just befriend people or introduce one person to another and to build this sort of community, this, this connector that's a way that I can only attribute to the Holy Spirit. There's something that I would call, too, a spiritual gifting is the gift of technology. We couldn't have had the spiritual gifting then. Paul couldn't have had it in his list then because there wasn't much technology. I don't even know if the word even existed. But I know a gifting when I see it. People that have the ability to understand networks and computers and systems and all the stuff that we need from week to week that builds us up and edifies it edifies us when they exercise it. 
the gift of technology. It may not find it on any other list, but it'd be on mine. And the gift of dot connecting is the last one that I would mention. Greg Fields is the best in the world that I've ever seen in the ability to just connect dots from something that he's read or something that he's seen or something that's in the news and just piece together things in a way that you go, man, maybe that's a word of wisdom. Maybe that's a word of knowledge. And I'm just putting it in another term, giving it another name, the gift of dot connecting. But one thing is for sure from this passage in 1 Peter chapter 4 is that there are certainly a variety of gifting. As each has received the gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That's what we've considered in these last few minutes in these lists is God's varied grace. Beautiful diversity in a healthy church where God's varied grace is being exercised and displayed. There's one other thing that I would add that we can gather from these different lists. The fact that some lists are different than others is that the consideration that maybe some churches had different gifting than other, other churches. Maybe some churches needed different gifting than other churches. The lists are not the same for each of the churches. So we can consider this list isn't complete. And we might also consider that different churches had some different needs and some different complements of gifting. So you may wonder if these things, as we've talked about these gifts, if they're permanent. Paul uses a metaphor that Scott preached from a couple of Sundays ago about the eye and the foot and the head and the hand. And Paul's metaphor of the body suggests that these gifts are not something that changes from day to day and week to week. But lean in the direction of permanence. The eye doesn't become a hand, nor the ear become a foot. But yet Paul, the very same Paul, in the very same context that he uses that imagery, encourages believers to desire and pray for the higher gifts. So there's some sense of permanence, but there's also a sense of potential that we can grow to the point where we take on some new gifting. The same Paul encouraged Timothy in the book of 1 Timothy, encouraged him not to neglect the gift that was in and entrusted to him. And we would believe that he's pointed out somewhere else that it's the gift of evangelism. There's some sense there that God gave Timothy something to be exercised and developed over time. It didn't change from week to week or even year to year, we don't believe. There's some sense of permanence and there's some sense of potential. But there should also be some sense that your gifts are perishable. It's a parable then that you can consider reading in Matthew chapter 25 maybe read it as a life group or read it as a family but here's the punchline of the parable of the parable of the talents for to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance that's the one that has that's exercising it the one that's using those gifts but from the one who has not the one who's not using his gifting or her gifting even what he has will be taken away there is some sense that there's some permanence to our gifting, but some sense of potential yet at the same time. But don't miss that there's some sense that your gifting also is perishable. Now, just three tips on discovering your gifts. And I, I shouldn't call them tips because that, like, um, that sounds lame. These are more than tips. 
The first way to discover your gift would be, first of all, to consider your own interests, your own burdens, to consider where you've been affirmed, to consider what draws you of this list of things that maybe I've gone over. Maybe something in there really resonates with you. But what should be coupled with that self-examination is prayer. Asking God. The very first thing you need to do when you're considering your gifts and wanting to find your gifts is consider asking God for wisdom into it. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. I can't imagine that God would say, Nah, I'm not going to show you your gifting. I'm just going to answer that question, that request with a no, and I'm going to keep you in the dark about how the Holy Spirit has gifted you. You, as you self-examine, you should bay that self-examination. What interests you? What burdens you? Where have you been affirmed? What draws you? Bay that in prayer, asking the Lord, give me wisdom into my gifting. Second of all, you should ask the church. Ask the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12 is a passage maybe you can jot down listen to this passage. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Strive to excel in building up the church. Begin by asking, what are the needs in your church? Ask what gifts are needed for the building of your particular church. Let's start there. There's a book that I would encourage you to buy. It's not um, something, it's not riveting. Let me just break it to you. It's not riveting, but it's a great book on the Holy Spirit. It's uh, by Richard Gaffin. It's called Perspectives on Pentecost. It's not super long. And again, it's, it, it, it's a little cumbersome. But the guy really does a good job exposing the big picture on the gifts. But he has a, a paragraph about this matter. Listen to this. The way to determine our spiritual gifts is not to ask, what is my thing spiritually? My spiritual specialty that sets me apart from other believers and gives me a distinguishing niche in the church. Right? That's how this can feel as we're talking spiritual gifting, right? Let me find my niche. Let me find my thing. That's an honest request. But he says, that's not what you ask. He says, rather, the New Testament on the whole takes a much more functional or situational approach. The question to ask is, what in the situation in which God has placed me are the particular opportunities I see for serving of other believers in word and deed? That puts you behind need. That sounds like God, doesn't it? That puts the need in front of you and says, let the needs of the church help you determine your gifting. What are the specific needs confronting me that need to be ministered to? Posing and effectively responding to this question will go a long way, not only toward discovering, but actually using our spiritual gifts. I love the way he put that. We should be eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, But ultimately, we're striving to excel in building up the church. We should learn the gifts that are most needed in the church in which we are part of. 
Now I'll share with you. These are the gifts that we're going to be dealing with over the course of this summer and probably on into the fall. So this is the needs of Cross Point Fellowship as we see them right now. 13-year-old church. Let me caveat. In year 23, we may be able to add a few more things in here. But this is what we see right now as the top list of things that we need as a church. They are service and helps. I don't know what church wouldn't need that. Teaching. We need gifts of administration. We need gift of leadership. We need gift of encouragement. We need gift of giving. Gift of leadership. Gift of mercy. And Scott and I realized as we were talking through our plan for the summer and fall, as we're talking through, presenting to you in some ways, what, what gifts we're dealing with as a church family, that we left out two biggies. And that we're going to add them in because they got to be in there. The gift of faith, duh, and the gift of evangelism, right? Both of us, we wanted to just tackle one another and say, what in the world are we thinking? What are we without the gift of evangelism being identified and expressed among us? So these are the gifts that we're dealing with. And you might ask the question, why not others? I've already hinted at the fact that at least I will tell you am a partial cessationist. There's some of these gifts that were expressed in that early church time that I'm not sure are expressed or need to be expressed in our context today. I'm all for the gift of healing. If any of you among you has the gift of healing, please let me know ASAP. Because I know some of you that have surgery planned. Some of you have other issues that you're dealing with. We could really use the gift of healing like ASAP. So quit holding out on us. The gift of miracles would come in handy as well. If any of you have any gift of miracles, please let me know ASAP because there's an occasion where we might need a miracle. Now, I'm being facetious there, but I'm trying to put in perspective that at least in our context, I don't need those sort of gifts. I don't need the gift of prophecy, a new word from the Lord, because I have this. Now, I will say this. While we may not need those sorts of things here, while they may not serve to bolster the Holy Spirit's presence in our context, there are places where those gifts may be exercised and practiced, where real healings, where blindness is, is healed, where um, real miracles are exercised, and I believe those are going to be on the far corners of the field, at the edges of the work, where the Holy Spirit is being confronted with the places where they might be dealing with witchcraft, where they might be dealing with black magic, all kinds of craziness where the Holy Spirit shows up as an inaugural event, much like it did in the early church. But I don't think that we ought to be about trying to reproduce Pentecost. Pentecost happened, and Pentecost was awesome. We don't need it to happen again. There's another excerpt that I plan to share with you earlier on in the sermon that I'll share with you now because it fits in right here. This guy, Richard Gaffin, is the guy that helped me see John through a different set of eyes to see that John places the cross right alongside his Johannine Pentecost. And this is what he said. Therefore, it is no more capable of being repeated. He's talking to Pentecost. Are serving as a model for individual Christian experience than are the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ with, with which it is so integrally conjoined as part of a single complex of events. We don't need another cross. We don't need another Pentecost. It happened. 
and it's awesome, and we can enjoy the after effects of it, but we don't need to reproduce it, and we don't need to model our lives after seeking sensational gifting. It doesn't even sound like Christ to be about the sensational. It seems like Christ and sounds like Christ to connect to this third thing that I was going to put in front of you. The third tip is to get to work. A good step to figure out what your gifting is instead of sitting around pondering and pontificating pontificating on it is actually to step out in some places and start serving. Even if you don't know what your gifting is, if you step out and serve in some places and you see an outcome that's bigger than you, that's gifting. That's Holy Spirit gifting. When you step out and serve in a way where you look at the after effect and somebody affirms you and you look at it and go, man, I just showed up. And God did something profound with that. That's gifting. Step out and be faithful in the small things, not after the sensational things, but after the little small, faithful, or small opportunities that are put in front of you. Step out and start there. And see what your gifting turns into. See what your gifting turns out to be. And you know what? I said early on that I'm a partial cessationist because I'd like to be open to the moving of the Holy Spirit. That maybe in year 23, we'll have room for some tongue speaking and some interpretation. But there better be interpretation. And I would sure welcome some miracles and some healing. But between now and then... Man, we sure would love some service and some helps. We sure would love some teachers that are begging to teach kids and adults and everybody in between. We sure would love some administration helping us sort things out and maybe get started on time on Sunday mornings. Huh. (laughs) That was a lighthearted jab at our late people. We sure could use the gift of leadership. As people lead life groups and people lead ministries, we sure could use the gift of encouragement, could use the gift of giving, the gift of leadership, the gift of mercy, and the gift of evangelism and faith. Man, we sure could use those gifting. If you want to know what the needs of Crosspoint Fellowship are, there they are right in front of us. There may be some others that we're not thinking of right now, but that's where we sit right now. My final thought to share with you this morning before we have the supper as we're talking about the spiritual gifts and the gifting, these different lists, and as you're thinking about and asking the question, what are the needs of the church, and maybe thinking about where you might fit into those needs, let me encourage you, don't be just about exercising your gift. As you're searching for your gift, why I think it's a great step to just step out and start serving and see where God opens something up that's bigger than you is as you're serving, you may find some places where you're not gifted, but what places you still need to grow. Just consider this. As you grow in Christ-likeness, who I believe had the full complement of gifts, you should serve even though your primary gifting may not be service. Girl on a high school trip, mission trip, when I was in high school, youth group trip, said uh, that she couldn't help build a church. We were building a church in New Mexico, and she couldn't help because she was allergic to sweat. Now, it turns out there actually re- really is something called that. I don't know if she actually had that, or it might be just something made up by people that don't want to work. <laughs> but she had the, 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 uh, an allergy to sweat. None of us should have an allergy to sweat when it comes to service. Jesus said, I came to, came to serve, not to, not to be served. And he gave everyone at that table at the Lord's Supper 
the charge to go then and serve. And that should apply to every single one of us. Now, some of us may have unique gifting, but all of us serve. And all of us grow in service. How about teaching? All of us have to grow in teaching. You should teach your children. You should be able to teach your neighbors and your friends as you have opportunity, though your primary gifting may not be teaching. You should lead your family or your business as Christ would lead, though your primary gifting may not be leadership. You should encourage others, though you may not have a unique gifting as an encourager. Wouldn't that be something that we would all want to do, even if you may not be uniquely gifted in that way? And not all believers have the gift of evangelism, yet all should share Christ as we have opportunity. We should talk and live and walk as if we all are gifted that way. (laughs) And then the ones who are uniquely, we should enjoy their work, but don't leave it up to them. These gifts are really all for us, and they're all for us to grow in. There's no spiritual gift that all believers have. And there's no believer that has all the gifts. Yet there are some general, there is some general ability similar to specific gifting that all believers should exercise. I'll leave you with this thought and then we'll distribute our elements. A big picture point. A healthy church, a healthy one, should have a rich diversity of gifts. Diverse expressions and applications of God's grace, a rich diversity of gifts exercised and all coming together in a unity that looks like Christ in our context. That's the crazy outcome when that's taking place, is we look like Christ. Let's pray.